Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites guideemily.com and alexlacy.com for information about our upcoming virtual tours as well as what the blue badge guiding qualification is all about oi oi no how are you i'm all right love how are you oh it's a beautiful day out there today it's lovely i'm feeling the joys of spring it's all good yes the joys of spring and i'm currently looking at you underneath the cutty sock (laughs) I'm not actually underneath the Cutty Sark, but I oh. had my virtual tour of Greenwich on Sunday where we went to the Cutty Sark and I love it. So that was my backdrop, but I haven't actually changed it yet. So, um, oh, nice. Very nice. Very, very nice. How's tricks? Any news? Any news? Gosh, has anything happened this week? It's been oh, quite a busy no. one, actually. Um, I've done a couple of virtual tours. Lovely um went for a couple of nice walks done a little bit of drawing pretty much the same as the week before and the week before that and the week before that so drawing for sketch history um drawing for sketch history and also had a couple of commissions come in which is quite exciting so um yeah drawing a house um i've got another little london scene to do so yeah my hands have been busy brilliant brilliant well um, I'm thrilled to be back uh, with another week of Ladies Who London podcast. Mm-hmm. And thanks to everyone for coming back and uh, listening again. We had some lovely messages in the week. Um, people really quite touched by Joseph Merrick's story from last week, which mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy about. I'm glad about that because it, you know, it's not a it's not a a laugh a minute that story. Um, no. but it is incredibly important. And I think. I think he's, his is a story that's really worth telling. So um, sorry if we depressed you massively last week. But <laughs> we well, I mean, these stories, they, they need to be told, Alex. You know, we can't, we can't laugh all the time. You know, you have to press those serious buttons occasionally. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, people, people seem to really, uh, it resonated with them. So that's, that's lovely. Yeah. Um, and we had our uh, podcast pedestal at the end of last week. Oh, I am literally like I'm just touching the, <laughs> the, the the medal, the winner's medal. I think I'm still. What am I? One behind you? What is it? Eleven ten? I think you're two behind me. Oh, you? I don't think so, Alex. No? I think I'm eleven ten. Oh, I don't Pretty know. sure I'm in double digits. Okay, good. <laughs> Let's go with that then. Let's go with eleven ten. I'm sure somebody will correct us if we're wrong. Um, <laughs> Can you remind us what the options were after last week for the podcast pedestal options? Uh, yes. So you went for Tom Norman, didn't you? 
I did. Who is the man that um, Joseph Merritt contacted, who ran uh, circuses and, well, what we're calling freak shows, um, and was sort of his ticket out of the workhouse. So whilst it was kind of slightly frying pan fire um, situation, Mm. uh, it it was, well, I say that, it was a vast improvement for him, even if it still wasn't the lap of luxury or, you know, a really kind of easy existence. It was not the workhouse, which let's face it, is pretty much the, the worst option you can have. Yeah. And you went for um, <laughs> classic uh, goth guide sensibility, the death of his mother. Oh, well, uh, I think, you know, his mother just showed so much affection to him. And as soon as she died, that love and affection, you know, went with her. Yeah. Um, and I think that the pathway that he suddenly went on would have been completely different if his mother was still around so I think that changed the course for him and changed you know, life for him I think you're really right and I think leaving the parenting solely in the lap of a Victorian father you know not not great the yeah parenting in the Victorian era was was um well I was a brutal really um at, at the very least and 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 uncaring at the um at the best so yeah I think I think you're right. I think that his mother had a very, or the death of his mother had a huge impact on, on his future. Mm. Which way do you think it's gone? I will tell you it's pretty close. Is it? Yeah. I, uh, I'm just trying to kind of like look at your expression and see. I'm not giving anything away. No, you're not giving anything away, are you? I'm on my poker face. Mm. I mean, you obviously think that my choice was very good. I do. I do. I think it might have gone my way. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> I love how many panics you get at this point. <laughs> There's Dude, so much at stake. I'm so, so tense. Um, the, the scores, uh, it was 45 to 54, <laughs> rather hilariously. Um, Whoa. And the winning uh, podcast pedestal topper was... My choice, Tom Norman, I'm afraid. Oh, what the hell? Yeah, I know. But in fairness, I think they were both very, very good options, if I say so myself. <sighs> um, and yeah, I, it, was a, it was a tough one to call. I think if I'd have been voting uh, this week, I wouldn't quite have known which way to go on that. So. No, they were both strong contenders. They were. They were. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, for me. <laughs> Sorry. No, well done. Well done. Thank yes. Thank so, gosh, what is it now? 12, 10. 12, 10, I think. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's see if you can bring it back this week. Where are we off to this yes. week? Yes. So this week, um, well, if you remember last week, the wheel of destiny span like it never spanned before, and it landed in Bloomsbury. So because, of course, this week or on Monday, we had International Women's Day. Um, yes, we thought it might be quite nice to talk about a lady, to talk about a female. So when it comes to Bloomsbury, we've got quite a few ladies around there, but I have decided to talk about Virginia Woolf. She's a classic. She is a classic. Do you know much about Virginia? Do you know, very little, actually. Um, I, yeah, the Bloomsbury set is not something that I have a vast amount of knowledge in. Um, or specialise in. So um, this is going to be uh, very much a learning uh, experience for me this week. Okay, fantastic. Well, I'm just going to dive straight in, Alex. Just going to dive into Virginia. 
Um, okay, so Virginia, she was born in 1882 and is most well known for her writing ability. She's actually considered to be one of the most important 20th century authors ever. Um, incredibly creative, the kind of person that just looked at the details. And I'm going to be talking about some of the things that she uh, wrote and talk about some of her books where she kind of just pinpoints and kind of zooms into something that you'd easily miss and just brings out so much beauty and so much poignance to something so small. Oh, this sounds amazing. Um, I'm, I'm, I've, I've never read any of her work either. So, uh, I mean, ah, yeah, this, I'm, I'm in. Okay, fantastic. Um, people also talk about her because of the different relationships that she had. So she was married, so I'll tell you about her marriage, um, but she also uh, was bisexual. She had um, quite a few relationships with women. So um, pretty kind of um, pretty out there for the early 1900s. She was talking about topics that you wouldn't necessarily expect a woman to talk about. She was doing things you wouldn't necessarily think a woman was doing. So, um, yeah, quite an important person. So she's say. another sort of Victorian trailblazing woman because we've had quite a few of those. And I, I do feel that often when we look back at history, um, in particular things like this, we often go in on the Victorian era quite a lot. And I think it's partly because we know more about them because... We have um, records from, from essentially from tax, which is where we, we know more about people. Um, but there also seems to be a, an awful lot of, of, I don't know, gumption in this period, particularly with women just going, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to do it. They start to see that there are options. And it's, it's interesting how often we go to the Victorian period for, for our, our, you know, for good stories. Absolutely. So um, born in 1882, Adeline Virginia Stephen was her birth name and she grew up in a really affluent household she grew up in South Kensington and even back then if you're growing up in South Kensington you've probably got a little bit of money just a touch uh, just a touch um she was the seventh child in a big family of eight um half of her siblings were her half sisters or half brothers because her parents actually married previously and then divorced and then found each other so a huge household her mother was quite well known she was a model a beautiful lady and her father was a writer and mountaineer so a people mountaineer. a mountaineer yes so he would travel around around the country um certain places around the globe and climb mountains and write about the different kind of scenery he saw and the nature so people knew the stevens quite well now this is a time of course in the late 1800s when women can't go to university so virginia she had to basically watch her brothers go to Cambridge University and she had to basically steal an education from her father's study Ooh, yeah like yeah and luckily her father you know had so many books he was a writer so she was very lucky because she could go into his study she would um uh, take his key and then just be in there for hours and by the time she was 13, she was reading things that, you know, you wouldn't expect a child to read of her age. And did, so, he, did her father know that she was doing this? Yeah. So initially he would open it for her. 
but she was waiting outside his library, you know, as soon as he woke up. So in the end, he just gave her a key. Uh, was just like, just get in there, love. Down, wear him down. Yeah. So she was lucky. I mean, you've got to think about many girls of her age who wouldn't have had that luxury to have all of those books in the house. Um, now, at the age of 13, she lost her mother. Um, and it's actually within the space of 10 years after that she loses her half sister. She loses her father. She also loses a brother. My goodness. Yeah. And this is where. Virginia, she starts to have um, these quite kind of uh, heavy moments of anguish where she's heavily depressed and she's really struggling and she has to take time out and she doesn't kind of leave her room for quite some time. It takes her quite a while to kind of get herself back up. So um, she does things like she writes, she enjoys bookbinding, um, she was a very keen walker like her father and would sometimes walk eight hours a day. Wow. Um, <laughs> which, whoa. Um, and also, strangely enough, she would go to the doctors and they would say, um, we think that in terms of trauma, it's good if you have your teeth out. We think that the root of your teeth can sometimes hold in your traumas. You're joking, really? No, yeah, seriously. So she was convinced to have quite a few of her teeth out, um, which, of course, was just ridiculous. And she ended up wearing false teeth most of her life. So this was in her 20s where Goodness. she had... I don't think she had all of them out, but some of them out at least. Um but she did get her kind of own back because she actually wrote about this incompetent doctor in one of her novels called Mrs. Dalloway. And it was quite obvious that she was talking about this particular doctor because she <laughs> names where his surgery is. And <laughs> oh, I love it. Properly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Name and shame. Name and shame. Now, um, at this point, you know, her mother and father have died. So her and her siblings, they decide to move to Bloomsbury. Now, Bloomsbury in the early 1900s was not as pretty and not as dressed well as you might think of it today. So today there are lots of beautiful homes that have obviously been painted, you know, within the last 50 years. So they're quite clean. You've got little yeah, squares. It's a lovely area. And, you know, you do sort of wander through thinking, oh, this is the dream, isn't it? But um, yeah, yeah, it's quite yeah. bizarre to think of it as, as a bit down at heel. Well, it was quite industrial and you had the Kingsway just by Bloomsbury, this long road, which would have been quite hectic. You would have had lots of horses and carts. You would have had, you know, a lot of kind of a lot of manure on the road. <laughs> it was a, kind of a thoroughfare in and out of Bloomsbury. But anyway, this is where they lived and this is where they start to connect to a circle of creatives. They get invited to a few parties and one of Virginia's sisters, Vanessa, she was a very well-known painter, kind of post-impressionist painter, you might say. She was called Vanessa and her and Vanessa got on very well with various people such as Clive Bell, who was an art critic, E.M. Yeah. Um, e. Forster, who was a fiction writer, people like Vita Sackville West, who became the Hogarth Press, which is something I'll come back to in a minute. Um, she was their best-selling author. Oh, right. And Vita, yeah, so these, are, these are names that we've heard before and... and... Um, and if you do talk about the Bloomsbury set, this, these are the names that, that crop up. And, and again, I don't know too much about them, but they're they're quite an interesting bunch. 
They are, and they would get together and they talk about feminism, they talk about sexuality, and they talk about economics, downfall, war, you know, very open discussions. Um, and I mentioned Vita Sackville West, I will come back to her, but she was part of the group and she was somebody that Virginia started to have an affair with eventually. Right. Um, now, also, you had Leonard Wolf, and Leonard Wolf is someone who Virginia eventually marries, and he was an essay writer. Um, so they both instantly bonded over their writing styles. Now, Leonard um, instantly fell in love with Virginia, and they got married in 1912. And they lived in uh, the Green, which is in Richmond. I think it still exists today, actually. You can certainly find yeah. a plaque on the house. And it was just next to Hogarth House. Yeah. And they decided to create a publishing company and they called it the Hogarth Press. Oh, Okay. And so they started this from their dining room. Um, if you remember Virginia, when she was growing up, she was doing a lot of book binding. So a lot of the work, they would bind it themselves. And they produced the first English edition of Freud's work. They, you know, oh. they, they did quite well. And they also founded the 1917 Club. Have you heard of that one? I haven't, No. So this was a club in Soho. Well, so when it came to the Bloomsbury group on Thursdays and Fridays, they would meet up in somebody's house, usually Virginia and Leonard's, and they would talk about certain discussions and be quite open and, and have quite a lot to drink, apparently. <laughs> so they thought, wouldn't it be great if we, you know, actually had a bar? <laughs> um, so they opened the 1917 club. Obviously, that's the year that it opened in Soho. And it was a club for socialists. It was a club where people could stand on the stage and basically talk about something that they felt was important. And then the audience could, could discuss it. And it would be a very open area and freedom of speech would you know occur as soon as you walked in the room oh wow yeah so Gosh, that's, cool. that's quite that's quite forward thinking for the time isn't it really yeah definitely and a couple of years later they move out of London Leonard and Virginia obviously they go back and forth to London but they get this uh, beautiful little cottage which overlooks the Sussex Downs the meadows you've got the river ooze and the river ooze, <laughs> yeah, it is incredibly. And the river ooze, sadly, um, it, I'm going to talk about at the end of the story because it holds uh, quite a quite a dark tale when it comes mm. to Virginia. I think I know where you're going with this. It's pretty much the only thing I do know about Virginia Woolf. Actually. Yeah, I, I have to say this one is quite a sad. One. It's a little bit like Joseph Merritt last week, although you know, this woman did so much in her life. The way that it ended was, was quite sad. So I'm going to come to that. Um, they also had a monkey. Now let's talk about their monkey. For Wait, what? Sake. Yeah, they had a monkey. It was a marmoset monkey and they named it Mitzi. Um, <laughs> I know, apparently Mitzi um, absolutely adored Leonard to the point that it would constantly defecate on its arm. Uh, <laughs> oh, do you know what? I do that when I like people as well. <laughs> you do, don't you? <laughs> um, well, apparently he had to constantly wear like waterproof sleeves, 
like on every single jacket so we'd have like a really respectable jacket and they'd have like these waterproof sleeves just in case Mitzi was going to come up and and show some love oh my goodness I mean that's <laughs> that's, that's quite something I know I mean maybe he thought that the monkey was really into him but it kind of sounds like the monkey probably didn't like him at all. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like this is this is a show of love, and everyone else is like, mm, I really don't think it is. <laughs> You're the only one he does it to. <laughs> oh god. Anyway, so let's talk about her her books. Let's talk about her her writing for a second. One strange thing with Virginia Woolf is she used to write standing up. Oh, okay. And she was pretty tall she was a very tall lady um and she would kind of like step back and look at the pages as if you've got an artist at their easel who's just done I don't know a picture of like a a sunset or something and you look back because you want to take everything in and she saw all the kind of the lines and the words and the letters on the page and it had to to look a certain way um which I I, I like that actually I like that I mean, it must have been severely uncomfortable to write standing up, but um, on her neck and her shoulders. But I guess if that if that worked well for her. Um, so um, a couple of her novels, Mrs. Dalloway. So this goes into this character's dramatic past. And the thing about her writing is she talks a lot about the normal kind of mundane things that happen that suddenly trigger psychological revelations. Oh, okay. And this is the same in To the Lighthouse, where, for instance, people at a dinner party seems, you know, totally normal. And then suddenly, like, someone will drop their handkerchief or, I don't know, somebody somebody's pearl necklace might suddenly um, break. And it's almost as if, as if it's a film. And the camera would suddenly pan in really, really slowly to those pearls dropping and tumbling. She has the ability to really slow things down and speed things up and to to make your mind see it that way when you're just reading words um, was pretty incredible. Wow. Yeah, so, and this would kind of like trigger things. So pearls, you know, maybe this might have been connected to, I mean, she doesn't say because it's a character, but connected to her mum passing away. Maybe her mum used to wear lots of pearls or it was um, a connection to Vita Sackville West who would always wear these kind of pearls, these kind of great clustered pearls that would hang around her neck. So reading her work, I guess it kind of makes you go, wow like maybe I need to notice the little things more you know and see where that takes my mind and she yeah and she really kind of wants the reader to do so you know she wants the reader to kind of shut out all the voices turn the lights off just like cut out everything you know of the normal day life and just focus in on yourself and how you feel when you're reading these words and yeah yeah that's really interesting yeah um the waves is another one and this is it's basically kind of like a collection of voices it's one person read from one person but you've almost got like these six voices these six personalities and in it it says i am not one person i am many people and this is something that she um very much plays with especially in orlando where she plays with multiple identities and plays with this kind of gender swapping where this character orlando 
lives for 300 years and casual casual and changes from a man to a woman a woman to a man suddenly will wake up in an area maybe it's the victorian period or maybe he's jumped back to the 1600s and he is now a she and so he or she is trying to work out how they feel within that era within that setting are they accepted um and when it comes to virginia she used to dress up as a man, she was quite an adronous, um I can't say that word, Alex. Androgynous. <laughs> androgynous, thank you. Androgynous. I like Andronymous. <laughs> Geronimo. Um, Geronimo. She, yeah, a Geronimo figure. Um, and her and Vita. So it is said that Orlando is like the longest love letter ever written. I mean, it's a big book and a love letter because it's kind of dedicated to Vita Sackville West. Interesting. And Vita, she was married. She was married to a man called Harold Nicholson. Harold was bisexual. Vita was bisexual. They had an open relationship where they uh, were allowed to meet other people and you know meet people of of different sex different orientation um so very very open and when vita met virginia she said at first you think she is plain then a sort of spiritual beauty imposes itself on you and you find a fascination you find it fascinating to watch her wow that's mm-hmm. uh, that's quite a quite a phrase isn't it yeah and she also wouldn't said you, wouldn't you love to be described like that i know god <laughs> please alex <laughs> she also says i simply adore virginia wolf and so would you you would fall quite flat before her charm and personality so heavily invested and yeah so vita and virginia they would dress up as men they would use the men's toilets and i think you know, for the early 1900s, for women to do that, for men and women to kind of express their sexuality, but for women in particular, you know, it was seen as such a bad thing to say that you were bisexual or that you were a lesbian. There wasn't much talk about it then. Yeah. And they were quite open about it. You know, they would go out together, they would hold hands. It was quite clear that there was something going on if you passed them. Wow. That's that's quite amazing, really, because we're talking about the early 1900s, which is um, just off the back of the Victorian era. It's the Edwardian. It's not particularly kind of loosened up any, really. Mm. So that's that's quite a statement to be sort of, you know, um, being actively, uh, well, bisexual, really, in 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 the streets. You know, that's that's quite a mm. that's quite a um, an undertaking. Absolutely. And she was active. You know, she was an activist, you might say, you know, she really kind of um, uh, was a pioneer for equal rights for women, um, really kind of opened up discussions, especially in the Bloomsbury group and in the 1917 club about sexuality, about how people feel um, if they were to see a woman walking down the street, holding a hand with another woman. Um, So, yeah. And I mentioned about her kind of looking at the little detail and kind of stretching it out like on a big canvas and kind of looking at all the the little bits in one piece that she writes it's called the death of a moth in 1942 and she basically watches this moth that is struggling to breathe it's like trapped in kind of like a pane of glass you might say 
and she's watching it for about half an hour before it dies and she's just thinking about this moth it's a day moth so she knows it's only got 24 hours to live and it's like flying from one corner to the other and then down to the other and to look at it you think you know it's living such an insignificant life but you know it's a day moth so everything's kind of been slowed down dramatically and she just kind of like tries to get into the mind of the moth and how it would be feeling and how i don't know it, the stress that it must be feeling because it it knows it's trapped must be the same kind of level of stress that you know a human would feel but obviously it's just being felt in a in a tiny little body a bit mean that she didn't feel the need to actually free it did she <laughs> This is true. I did not question that. <laughs> I think she didn't want to, you know, she just didn't want to get involved in the natural progression of this moth's life. Uh-huh, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not think of that. It's just literally, you know, she might put a, might as well have put a magnifying glass oh, and like, wait that, for the sun. That's sad. He's obviously really suffering. I'm just going to watch him. <laughs> I'm hoping that it was like stuck in a in a bit of the glass, like the pane of the glass. That you just there's no way that you'd be able to get to it. Let's just say that. Let's go for that. that Let's that's, go for that's that. more comfortable truth. Yeah, exactly. Um, describing illness, she also says, you know, people they talk about love all the time. You know, if you say, oh, you know, how do you feel about your loved one? You know, and, and you talk about how you feel about your like family member or something. It come, it's quite easy to talk about love, but to talk about an illness and to go into a doctor's surgery and to physically describe a pain and how you're feeling inside um, when something physically hurts is quite hard. So she kind of talks about getting really kind of in touch with your body. Again, talking about things that I guess when it comes to wellness and health and and looking after yourself are only things that are probably just starting to be talked about openly. Yeah, probably. What, the 1980s, 1990s? Yeah, a lot later. So that's quite a modern a modern start. So I suppose that's what we see a lot with these women who are trailblazers and, you know, they are quite modern women. They're modern thinkers. They're sort of ahead of their time, really. Yeah, definitely. Um, she loves shopping, apparently, and she would just she would go to Oxford Street to watch the tide of people that were just like you know going in from one shop to the other, lots of bags in hands, the hustle and bustle. Uh, she really enjoyed that excitement of a busy street, which just thinking about now, Alex, like it's just so weird. <laughs> Fills me with horror, to be honest. Yeah, but it's something that, like, a busy street of shoppers is just something we haven't seen for so long. Is I know, it? I know. Yeah. Crazy. Um, A Room of One's Own. Now, this is an interesting novel, and it kind of focuses on William Shakespeare. The idea of William Shakespeare having a sister, and they both have exactly the same writing ability, and what happens because she's female, what happens to her? Does she follow the same route as her brother or does she completely turn down a, a different pathway? Um, and it is the latter because, of course, she is a woman and she's going to be treated completely differently to her brother. So, again, it's kind of talking about things that, you know, we only kind of really start touching upon a little bit later on in time. She's very much a sort of... Uh, um... I guess a, a social observer, isn't she really? Mm, yes, exactly. A social observer. Yeah, completely. Um, 
Now, in about 1920s, she does actually go to Cambridge uh, to give some lectures. And that must have been a little bit insane because, you know, to go somewhere and be like, well, you didn't actually let me study here, but now you want me to give a lecture, you know, <laughs> a wow. little bit of a, you know. It's a turn up for the books, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and they want her to talk about the uh, the problems in female the problems that female writers have so it's quite an open discussion and how she go on you can say something i was gonna say the problem that female writers have is that they're not allowed into university (laughs) yeah exactly can i just start by saying thank you very much cambridge university for not letting me in um (laughs) that's one problem right there so uh, the way that even uh, in a lecture it's almost like you're listening to her reading out a novel because the way that she takes this on when she's talking about the problem that female writers face is she calls herself Mary. So she says, my name's Mary and I have been sitting on the banks of the River Cam on the grass for about two weeks now, staring over at this college, thinking how on earth am I going to cope with this lecture? What am I going to write about? How are people going to... um, view me am I going to be judged and so she she kind of dives into it by constantly giving herself a character never kind of really fully standing up saying I'm Virginia Woolf I want you to to see it through my eyes I think she feels more comfortable if she puts another persona in front of herself maybe yeah um now also I mean she wrote for the times she wrote essays she was just non-stop But these bouts of depression and these feelings of her going mad just keep on coming again and again and again. And what is worse as well is that, you know, World War II has started. So you've got the the, the fear of all that on your shoulders, plus the feeling of, of doom that you have within yourself anyway, or at least that she had. So, um, it was in 1941 on March 28th. And this was literally, I think it's like in the morning of a really bad um, uh, bout of, um, of war. So lots of bombs were dropped over London. You know, it was a seriously bad uh, night. And she woke up and this is when they're over in Sussex in their cottage and she fills her pockets with rocks she walks into the river ooze behind her house and never emerges again. My goodness. So incredibly um, dramatic, a dramatic ending. And I'm not going to read you fully her suicide note because you can find it on on Google and it's just so sad. Um, But I will just read out a couple of lines which are towards her husband and I think it kind of really um you know shows how uh, how strong they were as a couple and how she felt about him so she says you have given me the greatest possible happiness you have been in every way all that anyone could be and I would go on but it is just so sad oh, so yeah I'm not, I'm don't no, no. but you can find that online quite easily And although she cut her life short, she gave so much in her life. And I just, I can imagine so many people reading her novels and 
you know, it, it changing the way they feel about themselves and being able to cope, especially if you are, um, you know, you find it hard to kind of, um, I guess, label yourself as, um, you know, in terms of gender, especially with yeah. things that people are talking about now and that being absolutely fine and being, you know, normal. So, yeah, there we go. A bit about Virginia Woolf for you today. Goodness me. What a what a dramatic story. Um, yeah, she's not someone, like I say, I, I know much about. Well, I know a bit more now. Um, but, I mean, what a... Yeah, I mean, what a what a woman, and and I think, what a tragic end as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite interesting to sort of see that where that's all come from. She obviously, I mean, she it does really sound like she's a woman born out of her time. It does. That, that wasn't the right era for her. Well, as I suppose, obviously, it was because you know her you know her novels were amazing, and 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 she had all her friends and everything. But it does seem like she's a much more modern woman for her time, and that she didn't fit there and and like you say the the things that drove her to suicide at the end were things that would have yeah i don't know it just it it feels like if she'd have been born you know 50 years later 100 years later there were things that that she would have been able to cope with in in a a different way i don't know goodness me yeah what a a full-on story yeah it's quite a quite a character isn't she yeah. And she put, she once said, I am made and remade continually. Different people draw different words from me. And I love that because it's just this idea that you're never a hundred percent, you know, I, you're moving so fast and you're taking on your surroundings every time you, every day, you know, you're a little bit different. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you saying about her not living in, in the right time I think it really shows that where she's kind of whizzing backwards and forwards through eras and jumping to different places because I guess she didn't really didn't really feel that that she fitted into that world yeah absolutely Mm. wow thanks so much Emily oh no worries what a a fantastic if tragic story yeah about Virginia Woolf gosh there we go. <laughs> Are you going to give us something, something fun next week, Alice? Uh, well, I don't know. We're going to have to see where the wheel lands. Oh, yes, that's true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yet. <laughs> Probably not. I feel like we're, on a, we're on a bit of a downer at the minute. <laughs> Probably a bit of a, yeah. Maybe a roller coaster, which is just, uh, yeah. yeah, just constantly going down. So, um, podcast yeah. pedestal then. Oh, podcast pedestal. So, what are we, what are you, what are you thinking? Well, I think I'm, I'd like to go for one of her novels, I think. Okay. What would you like to go for? Which one, I'm gonna, do you have a particular one that you're going to go for? I do. Are you happy for me to say? Yeah, go for it. I think Orlando. Oh, yeah. That was the one that when you were talking about it really struck a chord. Mm. That sounds amazing. Mm. Because uh. it's something that, I mean, today is studied when it comes to gender studies, which is something that you see quite a lot. Uh, at universities and colleges now on the syllabus yeah. and that that is something that is that constantly comes up and um, today, as you say it's sort of a, a love story um, mm. and I like this idea of it kind of going darting back and forth in time and 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 you know that thing about that she didn't really fit in in her time kind of is almost drawn out in Orlando because if you say that you know she, the character's going backwards and forwards in different times and then having to find their space in that time yeah it's just it's quite I don't know quite prophetic really yeah and it's like really interesting 
because uh, she kind of, you know, if she's she thinks she's a woman, but she wakes up as a man and she has to kind of like think, right, how do I feel about this? Like the physicality of it, yeah. the way that somebody now is talking to me is completely different. Um, just it's just, it's very interesting. And yeah, taking on these multiple identities. So I think I'd like to go for Orlando. Feels like a bit of catharsis for her almost, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to go somewhere quite different. Ooh. I'm going to go for, I love the image that you said of her waiting at the door of her father's library in the morning. Oh, that's lovely. And kind of him him sort of turning up and being like, you again. Um, <laughs> Have you being, been to bed, Virginia? <laughs> yeah, just basically sort of just being there and, and to the point where he's like, fine, just have a key, go in. Like, yeah. So I, I think her love of her father's library I think for me because like you say she's not allowed the same kind of education as as her brothers or brother I can't remember how mm-hmm. many brothers you said she had um couple that she's kind of going well the resources are there I'm just gonna make a nuisance of myself until I kind of get what I want which is an education and if I have to do it myself so be it do you know I think that's a really good one because as I said you know if she did not have that library and she didn't have you know her father's books and everything then maybe she wouldn't have become so cute now i don't i don't really want to say this because this is your podcast <laughs> pick for god's sake but hey i was uh, nice about orlando you were, you were but yeah maybe she wouldn't have been so encouraged to write and write about all sorts of things and i think that's really got, really you know she's clearly a very a, got a very curious mind yeah um so i just think that ability to be able to explore that with this amazing library that her father had is is a gift um, definitely so how would you so sitting outside her the library um yeah i think so yeah is that so, how you just her father's press? library i think just her, her father's, father's library. library okay yeah yeah, yeah. sort of the the instrument that gets her to where um where she ends up yeah go. That's it. So those are your picks this week, everybody. You have uh, her father's library and you have her novel Orlando. Yeah. How can people vote, Emily? Just remind everybody if we've got any new listeners as well. Um, So they can just ring me up and say, oh, you've picked a really good one there, Emily. Well done. I'm going to give you 500 points. Um, Don't do that because I will not trust Emily to say, oh, yeah, I had 50 people ring me. How many people call me? God, it's lovely. Um. Yes, yeah, so uh, if you go on Instagram, so you can go on mine, Guide Emily, and you'll see the polls up there. That's the same on Alex's as well. And then we will also put up a poll on our joint Instagram, Ladies Who London podcast. Yeah. Uh, but usually on, when does it go up, Alex? Like Normally Sunday. Sunday. Usually yeah. Sunday, isn't it? So remember, it's only there for 24 hours. So make sure you, you, you... can also email us. So if you want to email us or, or DM yes. us as well. So if it's outside of that 24 hours and you just want to get your, get your vote in, please. Get your vote in. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so there we go podcast pedestal so i guess it is time for uh your favorite time of the week the wheel of destiny the wheel of destiny yes so it's obviously your pick um is there anywhere that you want the wheel to land um do, 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 do i is there anything particular no, I mean I've we've done so we've done quite a few people, haven't we? So we've had Joseph Merrick, we've had Virginia Woolf. What was the week before? Oh, that was Chelsea Physic Garden, wasn't it? The week before. Yes. yes. So we've only had two people. No, I think I'm pretty. I'm pretty open. Yeah. Pretty open. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. Right. Well, let me stretch myself out. 
Okay, off we go! Oh, oh, it's landed somewhere it's never landed before, Alice! Hey, that's what we like! <laughs> I never thought it would land here. Um, so it's Liverpool Street slash Spitalfields. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. We, we kind of thought about whether we did those in separate um sections but actually we thought Liverpool we put Street, it together yeah i guess there, there's some stuff it's quite a specific area so we put them together because they're quite logical yeah together, which opens up a whole load more um possibilities so yeah. let's have a think right well um i mean goodness me there's so much we could talk about well, we could talk about immigration around um spitalfields we've got street art we've got um spitalfields market mm-hmm. um but actually, well, let me just have a look at my list of things that I... Oh, oh, now here we go. Yes, I know what we're going to do. Um, right where Liverpool Street Station is today used to be a very famous hospital called the Bethlehem Hospital, otherwise <gasps> known as Bedlam. Oh, my God. Yes, do Bedlam. Yeah, we're going to do Bedlam. So yes. it's probably not going to be a cheery one again. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh, it's a little bit kind of, um, it's quite a dark one, isn't it? It's probably quite a dark one. I'm sure we'll find something uh, something funny in there because, you know, we always do. But always okay, do. Let, let, are you up with that? Let's, oh, definitely. Let's yeah. everybody a bit further and let's do yeah, Bedlam. Yeah, love a bit of Bedlam. <laughs> Brilliant. So that's it then for next week. It's going to be Bethlehem, Bethlehem Hospital. Bethlehem Hospital. known as Bedlam. Bedlam. Gosh. Mm. Okay, let the crazy times commence. Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be full on next week. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. Do we have any parish notices? Anything coming um, up? Oh gosh, we've got anything coming up? No, not for a little while. Next month, I've got a few things, but this month's a little bit more quiet. Tour yeah, wise, fair yeah. enough. Um, I have just finished my series of virtual tours. Um, and there, there's clamouring for more. So I'm going to try this week and put up a new poll of things, of options for virtual tours. And um, yeah, you can go and have a little look, see what you think uh, and vote if you want to come and do some virtual tours. Um, my Tudor box is still going strong. Come and do the Tudor box. It's great Yay. fun. You don't need any knowledge of the Tudors. Um, uh, the weekends are booking up quite quite a lot, which is great. Uh, so if you want to come and do it, it's a fun, basically it's an escape room uh, loosely themed around the Tudors so that I stay on brand. Um, you haven't done it yet, have you, Em? I haven't, no. I need what's, to do what's it. Keeping you? <laughs> I know, I know. I need to get on this. I need to. Yeah, it's, it, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. People are, people are loving it. So um, we've had, we had, our, the, the record was smashed this week, actually. Um, I, the, the previous record was set by some of our colleagues some of our blue badge colleagues who uh doesn't necessarily mean that they had extra knowledge about the Tudors obviously they did but didn't necessarily help them but they are like properly top level code crackers um but it was smashed this week by a family uh of two adults and three kids in America uh they broke the record so you know it's great for kids as well how long did it take them? They had a very impressive 23 minutes left. <gasps> the, the previous record had a 21 and a half minutes left. And then everybody else after that is up up at the sort of 10 minutes left kind of kind of level or, or later. Um, oh so yeah, the, the, only those two have they properly stood out. But I don't know, this family, they're clearly big code cracking family because they just, they were very, very on it. It was brilliant. So yeah, that was quite fun. <laughs> Bloody hell. I'm pretty sure that I would need at least double the time 
I'm that so can, That slow. can be arranged. <laughs> You're like, Emily, I need to eat my dinner now. Yes. Emily, it's two in the morning. Can I go to bed? I'm like, I must get those jewels. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. Come and, oh. come and crack the, uh, the puzzles and find the jewels if you can. If you, you can. can. That's it. Can. That's it for this week. Um, we will see you next week for some bedlam fun. Yay! Thank you very much, Alex, and thank you everybody out there for tuning in. Have a great in. week, everybody. Have see a great week. week. Bye! Bye.